0: thank all you kids for hanging out with us today. I hope uh, you've enjoyed our music time together. Did you guys enjoy the music? You're allowed to make a little bit of noise in here. It's okay. Thanks, Greg. All right. Um, If you guys have your Bibles, open with me to the book of 2 Timothy. We'll be in chapter 1 today. I want to explain real quickly uh, kind of the purpose for what we're trying to accomplish today. Um, We talked about it a little bit in home gatherings um, to try to set you up for what to expect today. Um, But one of the biggest reasons we kind of started kicking around this idea of like a family Sunday um, was A, we heard other churches doing it um, and wanted to evaluate the merits of that. But it's, um, it's important for us this idea of family already being part of our identity, that we also find ways to kind of incorporate that um, in some strategic ways on Sundays. Uh, Obviously it's very valuable for the adults to be able to be in here uh, by themselves uh, for a significant amount of time and for the kids to be with the uh, workers who care for them. Um, But to be able to be all together in one room with the exception of my kids um, (laughs) is nice. It's a a cool chance to, to share together Um, the parents with the kids, and even singles, you guys, as we live out family together in the body of Christ, what does it look like inside the church in the local context? Um, So that's kind of the biggest purpose for Family Sundays. We wanted to kind of give them a little taste of the band and doing some of their music. I hope you guys enjoyed that, Uh, but also kind of give them some of what we do. So with that, um, let's go ahead and kind of jump in today. It's going to be significantly shorter, at least I hope, than what you're used to. Uh, mostly for the little guys, um, guys primarily. Uh, (laughs) But let's jump into here. For you adults, this week is probably going to sound like a lot of an echo of our Advent series, okay? Um, I've got a semi-difficult task today, bouncing between the different age groups. Uh, I'm primarily going to be talking um, as much as I can to the kids uh, in order to try to have one audience. Um, And we will be working out of the NIRV today. Uh, the new international readers version uh, is what we want you guys to use for your kids. But it's probably going to sound like an echo, and that's because Second Timothy chapter 1 is like an outline of everything that we just talked about over the past three and a half weeks. Uh, so you're going to hear a lot of familiar stuff as we kind of wrap up uh, Advent with the kids. Uh, Matt obviously did last week. But I also want the kids to be able to share in, uh, in what we've studied. Uh, we, there's a reason we're not doing what they did. Uh, we want you guys to be able to share with your kids, uh, what we've been studying over this past month, and I particularly today, I hope to equip you parents to apply what we've been doing, if you're struggling to or haven't yet, how do we apply this idea of hope to our kids? How do we um, take this past series and really bring it to our children? But also, this kind of sets us up for missions. Just in the uh, context that we're covering, uh, this next series that we'll be doing in January is about missions, uh, and I want to kind of set us up in a different way for that. Um, so with that, I have a quote. It should be on the screen. Adults, this is for you. And this, is, this is your sermon, right? Uh, A.W. Tozer says this. It's the very most popular quote he has. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion, and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure, or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. And for this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he is in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. So parents, as we work through our text today, I want you to keep this in mind. What kind of thoughts of God do you have, and what kind of thoughts of God do your children have? Why? Well, because we're not going to go any higher than the God that we have. I'm afraid that most of us have so low a view of God, and all of his trying beauty, that we never raise up in the Christian life past, our, our low view of God. Well, your job as parents, our job as parents, is to give our kids a high view of God, a high view of authority, a high view of who God and Jesus is, right? And the higher view you give them of Jesus, the better they will be in their souls. So with that, let's jump into 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 5 through 14 today. You want to follow along on the screen? Kids, you're more than welcome to. It's up there, and you can listen to what we're saying. I'll be reading from the NIRV, so this might be a little hard to follow in your ESV. All right. Verse 5 says, I remember your honest and true faith. It was alive first in your grandmother, Lois, and then your mother, Eunice. And I am certain that it is now alive in you also. This is why I remind you to help God's gift grow. Just as a small spark grows into a fire. God put his gift in you when I placed my hands on you. God gave us his spirit. And the Spirit doesn't make us weak and fearful. Instead, the Spirit gives us power and love. He helps us control ourselves. So don't be ashamed of the message about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Instead, join with me as I suffer for the good news. God's power will help us do that. God has saved us. He has chosen us to live a holy life. It wasn't because of anything that we have done. It was because of his own purpose and grace. Through Christ Jesus, God gave us this grace even before time began. It has now been made known through the coming of our Savior, Christ Jesus. For he has broken the power of death. Because of the good news, he has brought life into the light. That life never dies. I was appointed to announce the good news. I was appointed to be an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering the way that I am. But this gives me no reason to be ashamed. That's because I know who I have believed in. I am sure he is able to take care of what I have given him. I can trust him with it until the day he returns as judge. Follow what you heard from me as a pattern of true teaching. Follow it with faith and love because you belong to Christ Jesus. Guard the truth of the good news that you were trusted with. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Let's pray real quick and then uh, we'll get going. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for who you are. Father, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us in the word today. Father, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, minds to understand the truth and the love and the beauty that you present here in this text. But we love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. So my question is, again, what do you think of when you think of God? What do you think of when you think of God? Kids, when your parents talk to you about God, what do you think of God? Who is God? How would you answer a friend at school if they came up to you and said, Who's God? I've heard you talk about him before, but who is God? How would you explain him to your friends? How would you explain it to your parents? Adults, how would you explain it to your family? Who is God? When you think of God, do you think of his attributes? So when I say attributes, I'm thinking, do you think about like the power, the strength of God? Do you think about the the presence of God, that he's everywhere? When you think about God, do you think about how loving he is? You think about how kind he is. When you think about God, do you, do you think about how, how big he must be? Have you ever thought about the bigness of God? The Bible tells us that he can hold all of the water of the earth, right? So how many oceans are there? <laughs> there are a lot. There's a lot of water in the oceans. He can hold all of the water in the cup of his hand. That's a big God, right? God is big. He's huge. He's powerful. You might think about the promises of God, right? You guys have been, the older kids have been going through, uh, God is faithful. He keeps His promises, right? God makes lots and lots of promises, and He's faithful to all of them. So you may be thinking particularly of those promises that you've heard over the past many months. But I'm also afraid, too, that sometimes when we think about God, we think about some things that might be a little man-centered. It might be a little us-centered. It might be things about us. That we think of God. That God's there to maybe serve me. God does things for me. Uh, maybe that I got in trouble because God didn't get me out of that. But then we also have kind of the other end of the spectrum, the far end of the spectrum, where we say, I don't believe there is a God. Some people in your life will come to you, you probably already heard it, you older ones, and say, I don't believe in the God that you believe in. They may say that I don't think there's a God at all. And so take some time and think on a piece of paper. What do I know of God? Adults, what do you know of God? How would you explain him? And I hope today to be able to show us kind of what Paul's concerned about. In verse 6, he says in the NIRV, that is why I remind you. In your ESV, it says, for this reason. I think for this reason is a good thing to do a word study on in Scripture. Um, Plug that in the Bible Gateway and see what you come up with. Look at kind of the reasons, the driving factors and purposes for why different authors in the Bible use that phrase. What sets them up and what are they saying? I think what's interesting about this text and about this idea of hope is what is hope for? You're ho- adults, you're hoping for something, right? I mean, there's no purpose of hope if there's no thought of conclusion. Uh, otherwise, you're not hoping at all, right? And so Paul's intention, I think, when he's talking here. When we see him talking about the faith of Timothy that he had, he says, for this reason, because of this faith that you have, because of this honest, true faith that you have, for this reason, I want to what? He'll talk about reminding him of many things. And so today, I hope to kind of give you a for this reason. Why do we have hope? What is this hope for? You have hope in Christ Jesus for what reason? That's what we're going to explore today. So the first thing I want you to see is that you do not need to fear or be ashamed. Do not fear or be ashamed, for God is with you. Do not fear or be ashamed, God is with you. Verse 5 says, I remember your honest and true faith that was alive first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am certain that it is now alive in you also. It says, I remember your honest and true faith. Uh, my question would be, can you consider, or could the faith that you have be called Honest and true. Is the faith that you have in God honest and true? Is it even alive? He says, I'm certain that it's now alive in you. Kids, I want you to see something here, all right? Listen up. Spiritual heritage, the fact that your parents love Jesus is a really important thing, okay? It is. But you need to understand that your faith has to be your own, all right? Your faith cannot simply be your parents' faith. At some point, you need to say, I believe this too. This is my faith. Timothy's grandmother and his mother both loved Jesus. They were both believers. They were of the faith. But Paul says, I'm certain it's now alive in you also. So your spiritual heritage, parents, is important. You're going to leave a legacy of some kind. Understand that it's our job to bring our kids along in the faith. Verse 6, he says, this is why I remind you, for this reason, I want to remind you to help God's gift grow. Just as a small spark grows into a fire, for God put his gift in you when I placed my hands on you. What we need to understand is that once we have faith, we must help it grow. And we call that discipleship, right? We call that idea discipleship as we follow jesus and his ways but kids as you place your faith in christ the next step if you will is to continue to follow jesus so following jesus is what we would call discipleship and discipleship is basically this idea he has in mind a fire have you ever tried to start a fire don't answer that if you're not supposed to um yeah in the bathroom one time i tried to light the toilet paper on fire um that happened at my school uh (laughs) Have you ever, like, seen a campfire get started, anybody? Yeah? Have you ever tried to start it yourself? It's, it's kind of hard. It's not easy. If you don't have the right things, it's really hard to start a fire. But the idea is this. He's talking about keeping a fire alive. So what happens if you start a fire, you cook your hot dogs, it kind of smolders down, you cook your marshmallows right, and then what happens if you just leave it? The fire will go out, right? It will consume itself, and it will burn out. He's saying here that we have to keep that fire alive. How do you keep a fire alive? Poke it and <laughs> add more wood, right? You have to have something else to burn. Are they saying it? answers? I can't hear them. No, okay. You're not um, You add wood to the fire to help it stay alive. And I think that's what a good picture for us as we talk about discipleship. When we're talking about keeping a faith alive and keeping this gift alive, we have to continue to add wood to the fire. And how do we do that? By growing, following, learning new things. We continue to grow in our faith. I think a danger that uh, we may encounter in this text of Second Timothy adults, we know that this is Paul's kind of goodbye letter, uh, for lack of better terms. This is kind of the last thing that he gets to write. his last will and testament. And we may take this from a purely loving standpoint. But I think early on in this chapter we see that Paul was not entirely satisfied with Timothy's level of current faithfulness. Uh, He seems to be exhorting him in a pushing manner rather than in a uh, thanksgiving type way that we see him do other times. And so he may not have been satisfied with Timothy's faithfulness. Now we just went through all of 1 Timothy, right? What was that all about? What did he end it with? Fight the good fight of the faith. So Paul's writing here now and... uh, It seems as if Timothy might have kind of gotten overwhelmed, gotten a little worn out from the fighting that he had to do. I think it's interesting if you look at Timothy. I mean, he was obviously doing the work, right? He was doing the work. But when you think about a fire, the fire that you uh, cook your marshmallows on is a fire, right? Well, so is a bonfire. The one is, they're, they're obviously different, right? One can be as tall as this building. The other one is just as flat as can be. Just because they're both fires does not make them equal, right? What about like a forest fire? Have you ever seen a forest fire from like a helicopter camera on the news? You should look it up on Google, Chapman. Um, Forest fires are huge, 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 devastating forces of nature. What kind of fire is in your soul? Can I just cook marshmallows on the fire? Or if I walked into it, would I be consumed like in a forest fire? Parents, how are you fanning the fire of your children's faith? What kind of fire is going on in their heart right now? Because I think there's a few things that affect the fire, and Paul has a few things in mind. This is kind of the main thrust for today and what I want you guys to take away. Fear is one of the first things that Paul has in mind about something that affects a fire. If you see, (coughs) excuse me. If you see in verse 7, he says, God gave us a spirit, and the spirit doesn't make us weak and fearful. Rather, instead, the spirit gives us power and love. So Paul reminds Timothy that he has the indwelling spirit of God in him. And honestly, I'm ashamed myself at how often I need this reminder as well. I, I think my concept of God is yes, that he's everywhere. And so he's always with me, he is watching me, he's guiding me, he's leading me, and I often, often, often forget that he's in me. The Holy Spirit is so neglected when it comes to our understanding of who God is. We talk about God the Father all the time. We talk about Jesus Christ. Uh, I think Francis Chan is on the nose, and we needed a book written on on the Holy Spirit, Uh, forgotten God. He's almost forgotten, I think, particularly in Baptist heritage, at least my Southern Baptist heritage. I think we need to remember and remind ourselves often that we need not fear. Why? Because we have the power of God not with us, not around us, but in us, in us. You have God the Spirit inside of you if you are a believer. When we're talking about fear, I I, I wonder kind of how we understand the fear. It's not a, like, horror film type of, like, ah, you just shriek, okay? That's not ever going to happen when you're in school. Uh, when someone comes up to you and says, uh, can you tell me who God is? You're not going to go, ah, and, and run away, right? I, I hope not. It's probably going to be kind of a, like, uh, you know, he's well, he's God. G-O-D God, right, man? He's, he's, he's God. Um, this idea of fear is not a shrieking scare type thing. It speaks of a cowardly or shameful fear caused by a weak or selfish character. Parents, application all over the place. How are you building up character? All right, the stuff that we do with Paul, uh, David Tripp, uh, and his brother Ted, I don't know his middle name, Tripp, um, is all about character building, right? It's all about the heart. Fanning this idea of a flame, taking care of character. When I think of this idea of fear, this is kind of the way I've always thought of it, uh, is like Westerns, right? And somebody calls you yellow, are you yellow Boy, that type of idea. Um, maybe a little more better application would be Back to the Future, uh, Marty McFly, right? Um what are you chicken no one calls me chicken and he rages on him right uh, except in the second one when they go to the western which is my favorite one um or is that the third i don't remember. uh <laughs> he says what are you yellow boy um this idea of like a coward it should be the idea that we think of when we think of fear are your kids fearful not in a shrieking and running way but like cowardly character how do, you, how do you help build that? Are you cowardly in your character? What kind of fear or shameful fear uh, is called upon in your life? Now, I think Timothy may indeed have been overwhelmed. I think often we can be overwhelmed. You think about Timothy in his leadership position. We know that he had elders that were against him. We know that he had rampant sin in his church that was just hard to deal with. We know that he was young himself and trying to lead a church. We know that he had false teaching around him and the church. That's a lot to deal with as a leader. That's a lot to deal with for anyone. I think we often get overwhelmed, but I think that's exactly where God kind of wants us. For what purpose, as we'll see, is suffering if you're not, I'm sorry, what purpose is comfort if you're not suffering? You, you need no comforter if you're not in uncomfortableness. <laughs> so what's the point of that? You don't need help a helper if you're not in distress. I think God wants to keep us in a place where we have to depend on him. And so the reminder then from Paul is, you have the Spirit. Live your life in such a way, realizing that you have the Spirit of God in you. Francis Chan says in his Forgotten God book, says, I want to live so that I am truly submitted to the Spirit's leading on a daily basis. Christ said it's better for us that the Spirit came. It was better for Jesus to leave us. This Christmas idea that we have of Jesus coming in the flesh, it was better that he leave so that the Spirit could come. He says, I want to live like that is true. I don't want to keep crawling when I have the ability to fly. Karl Barth says, when we are at our wit's end for an answer, then the Holy Spirit can give us an answer. But how can he give us an answer when we are still well supplied with all sorts of answers of our own? I think Timothy was at his wit's end. He was a little overwhelmed. He needed some answers. And Paul simply says, remember the spirit. God gave us a spirit that makes us powerful. And it gives us love. So God has already given believers all the spiritual resources that they need for every trial and threat. We need to remember that God's spirit gives us power. But God has also given us love that centers on pleasing God and seeking others' welfare before one's own. God's spirit gives us love. So when you're at school, when you're at work, when you're at wherever, and someone says, who is God? What kind of spirit do you have inside of you that will allow you to answer? Will you be timid? Will you be cowardly? Will you be afraid? Are you ashamed? Or will you speak with power, but in love? A way that puts other people first. In fact, do you live that kind of life. Not just when you're answering people, but do you live that at home? Oldest siblings, do you take care of your younger siblings? Do you put them ahead of your own interests? I remember uh, when Robbie and I were kids, um, I used to have to do everything first. Um, like we're, we're playing baseball or something. I've got to bat first, otherwise I don't get a chance to bat. <laughs> I let him bat, and as soon as, he, as soon as we're done and it's my turn, he wants to do something else. Um, so that's, that's an example of not putting his needs ahead of my own. Don't do that. Um, take care of your younger siblings. Put their interests ahead of your own. And when it comes to your parents, how do you guys take care of your parents? Is it all about you and what you want, or do you try to serve your parents? Well, scripture tells us in Ephesians 6 that we need to honor our parents, all right? We show them respect. We thank them for what they do, and it will be well with us. That's a, that's a promise from God that it will go well with us if we honor our parents. Now, some encouragement for you. The Spirit gives you power and gives you love, right? But it also helps us with self-control. And I think that's kind of where we might slip a little bit when it comes to honoring our parents, when it comes to putting others before ourselves. When it comes to self-control, he helps us control ourselves. ESV says he gives us a sound mind. Remember we talked about sound doctrine before, healthy, right, that idea? That hygienic aspect, adults. The same thing with your mind. You want a clean and ordered mind. John MacArthur says this refers to a disciplined, self-controlled, and properly prioritized mind. This is the opposite of fear and cowardice that causes disorder and confusion. Focusing on the sovereign nature and perfect purposes of our eternal God allows believers to control their lives with godly wisdom and confidence in every situation. And so does that characterize your life? Is your mind and then the things around you in a state of discipline, self-control, properly prioritized? Or as you focus on this past year, is there disorder, confusion? See, the elder, the the leader of the church is supposed to have a well-ordered home, right? Because it represents discipline. It represents self-control and priorities, Otherwise, you see confusion, you see chaos. And if that happens in the church, it's dangerous to the flock. If a leader leads the church in a chaotic and confused way, there's not going to be a lot of sheep left that follow. It's not properly cared for. And in the same sense, we have to control ourselves. And control in an ordered mind helps us stay away from fear. If there's not chaos and disorder and confusion around you, then you can stand firmer. I always get a little more afraid when I don't know what's going on, right? So those of you with control idols, you start to get anxious when things are out of your control, right? Why? Because it's confusing. It's chaos. You don't know what to expect. Well, here we can find ourselves that if we have a disciplined, self-controlled, and properly prioritized mind, we can live with self-control, and the Spirit is the one who enables that. It's not because you made a better list this week than you did last week. It's not because you started bullet journaling. Those are all tools, I'm talking to myself. Um, those are all tools, but it is the spirit that enables those disciplines to happen. Parents, how are you helping discipline your kids? And kids, I don't mean spanking at the moment, all right? I mean the other types of discipline. How are you learning routine? Is your life confusing? Is it chaos? Is it disorganized? Parents, we have to help facilitate this type of uh, proper discipline and self-control in mind in our homes. So there's fear. I think the second reason that fires start to go out or start to diminish in the hearts of our, of our hearts and, and the hearts of our children is shame. Verse 8 says, Do not be ashamed of the message about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Instead, join with me as I suffer for the good news. God's power will help us do that. You guys ever find yourself wanting to apologize for God. Like, something happens, and someone asks, well, why did God let that happen? Do you ever find yourself wanting to apologize for him? And I I do. Uh, there are times in counseling where I've wanted to apologize because God is so harsh. Because I've got to do what the Bible says. And you get this kind of sick feeling where it's like, I know this is right. I know it's good. Why do I feel like it's, I need to apologize for it? And I think being in a place where we want to apologize for God uh, is a dangerous place. And I think it, it is revelatory. I know of myself, of what I'm, what I'm worshiping, what my heart is clinging to, uh, what I'm hoping for. When, when we find our t- ourselves in those times where we want to apologize for God, we're embarrassed maybe of the fact that Scripture says we have to believe something. I think when we get there, we find out kind of what we're loving that may not be God. Because then I look at David in Psalm chapter 40, we read today. He says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. And as you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. He goes on in, ver- in chapter 71, verses 15 through 16. It says, My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. And with the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. And Paul is basically saying in this chapter for us, I don't care what the world thinks. I don't care what the world says or does. I know what God has mandated for me to be and to do, and that is what I determine by His power to be and to do. Whatever the consequences, I will boldly stand for Christ. We don't have to be ashamed of God. We don't have to be ashamed of His Word. We don't have to be ashamed of the truth of who Jesus is. Well, my concern is, He says that whatever the consequences, I will boldly stand. I think the problem is that we do that for sin, and we don't realize that. There's something that we really want. There's something that our heart yearns for, and we say, whatever the consequences, put them aside. I'm going to commit this sin, and I'll pay for the consequences later. How come we can do that for sin, but we can't do that for God? Why is it that my heart can tell me to to, to do something, and I'll say, but there's this consequence? And say, ah, it's worth it, it won't happen. It'll happen later. It won't be that bad. And we commit sin against God and boldly stand for the wrong thing. Paul is telling us that whatever the world thinks, says, or does, we stand for Christ. Why? Because the, God's power will help us. Note Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 tells us that he does not hesitate to call us sons. And it reminds me of being ashamed of my mom and dad when I was in school, right? Not because they are terrible people, but if they show up on campus uh, in front of my friends and they want to, like, a hug uh, or a kiss or my dad tells a corny joke that I now do, um, you're all sorts of embarrassed, right? Uh, Alyssa, are you excited for the day that your dad c- shows up at school and goes and talks with all your friends? That's a good face. Thank you. Um <laughs> kind of that idea and you start talking about God sometimes and you get a little kind of you know yeah that's that's my God Uh, what's going on are you ready Uh, let's go play uh it's kind of the same idea I think um look it's hard to worship a God that we have to apologize for or be ashamed of it's hard to worship a God that we have to apologize for that we're ashamed of Go back to the the, A.W. Tozer quote. He says, if worship is pure or based off of our thoughts of God, then my question is, what does this say about our worship for God? If we have to apologize for him, we'll be ashamed of him. No, instead, Paul will show us what worship is. We need not fear and we need not be ashamed. Why? Because of the mighty God that we serve. We're going to move quickly through our next point. But I really want to show and illustrate what Paul points to for this reason, Right? You have hope in God. For what reason? To live with power, to live proclaiming, to live without fear, to live without shame. Why? Because you can praise God because of his marvelous grace. Praise God because of his marvelous grace. Verse 9 says, God has saved us. He has chosen us to live a holy life. It wasn't because of anything we have done. It was because of his own purpose and grace. Through Christ Jesus, God gave us this grace, even before time began. God has saved you. He chose you. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, he saved you. Mom, Dad, this is that effectual call of the elect that we just started talking about a couple weeks ago. This is us receiving holiness. You have to help your kids see this glorious truth, all right, that we get holiness, We receive imputed holiness in our justification, imparted holiness in our sanctification, and completed holiness in our glorification. God, through Christ Jesus, is giving us holiness, not changing behavior. If we push the wrong thing, then we're going to miss the idea of holiness. But it has to start in our hearts first. Do you realize as a believer in Christ Jesus that you are receiving holiness? You had his righteousness and his holiness given to you in justification. You are being developed into a holy creature through your sanctification as it is imparted to you. And one day it will be completed. We will be without sin. We have to understand that the idea of for this reason is that the truth of Christ's cross is the power to save. And if we don't live by that ourselves, we are never going to give it to our kids. And so again, as we've talked about the past several weeks, what are you holding in your hands? Well, listen to him. He says, It wasn't because of anything we have done. These things that I'm holding in my hands, it was not because of any of these. It was because of his own purpose and grace. Through Christ Jesus, God gave us this grace even before time began. If you're still struggling with predestination, don't. ESV, the adult version, it wasn't because of anything we have done. NIRV nails this. It was because of his own purpose and his grace. And through Christ Jesus, God gave us this grace even before time began. Grace is the instigator, and it is the perpetuator in the life of a Christian. Grace is what starts, continues, and finishes the life of a believer. And he says in verse 10, It has now been made known through the coming of our Savior Christ Jesus. He has broken the power of death, and because of the good news, because of the gospel, he has brought life out into the light. That life never dies. You talk about Christmas and this idea of Emmanuel, God with us, It's been made known through the coming of our Savior. He came, he was made flesh. And he has broken the power of death. That's the idea of marrying Christmas and Easter together, right? He's broken the power of death, that fear and shame that we talk about. We need to remember, again, the, the Tozer quote, that we tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. If you look at the trajectory of your faith over the past year, Which way have you gone, up or down? With the youth, I used to always have a a New Year's Eve party, and we'd have a a small time together of devotional, and the question was always, where are you from last year? Remember where you were last year, because in a year we're going to do this again. What's your trajectory? Because the mental image that you have of God is is as high as you'll ever get. If your view of God is here, then you will slowly for the rest of your life just get to here. But if your view of God is way up here, and it increases year after year, that's the trajectory that you're taking. He says that because of the gospel, life has come into the light. So what are you living for? What's in your hands? (coughs) He goes on to say in verse 11, I was appointed to announce the good news. I was appointed to be an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering the way that I am. But this gives me no reason to be ashamed. That's because I know who I have believed in. I'm sure he is able to take care of what I have given him. I can trust him with it until the day he returns as judge. You see that Paul has no fear of persecution and death from preaching the gospel. Why? How do you get that type of of faith? How do you get that type of courage? We're talking about not being fearful. Don't be yellow. How do you get that type of courage? He has no fear of persecution and death. Why? Because he was so confident that God had sealed his future glory and blessing. This is where we get verses like to live, or to die is gain, but to live is Christ, right? How, how can he say that? Because he is so confident that God has sealed his future glory and blessing. Because I know who I have believed in. It's hard to be confident about your future if you're not living for the future now. If we're living with such a, a short view of our lives, how in the world do we have any idea of what eternity is going to encompass? If our finances aren't concerned about the future here, how in the world are we ever going to be concerned about the future and the afterlife? What does eternity look like for the man who doesn't invest in heaven? What does eternity look like for the mind that doesn't seek Christ on earth? You will get to see him as he is, but will you know him like you're supposed to? If we live now without any type of idea of what the future holds, and we can't be confident in eternity, why? Your future glory is some ambiguous idea. Because your, parents, your kids have no idea what the future looks like. You don't know what the future looks like for them. How are you going to prepare them for stuff that you don't know is going to come? Do you prepare them to know the one who will be with them? You see, w- one of the big things that kind of shifted my parenting even in the past like three weeks is this, this light turned on for me. I, I, it is really, really hard for me to h- be harsh with Adeline anymore. At first I was starting to tend that way, uh, particularly because we have two now and you know how that built. I was starting to be <laughs> Um, a little harsher with her, and I noticed it, and and I reminded, I don't remember how I remember this, I came across something in scripture, and it reminded me that if Adeline is saved, she will be my sister in Christ. And I I would never, or at least I think I would never, treat any of you ladies in a harsh manner. I I might be a little assertive or um, (coughs) just, just honest, but I don't believe that I would ever be harsh with you. And I wonder why then can I be harsh with my daughter if she's supposed to be, you know, eventually at some point the same sister in Christ. Parents, treat your kids like they're co-heirs with Christ, just like you are. That type of love that you have for the brothers and sisters here should be the same type of love that you have for your kids. That same kind of preparation, discipleship, exhortation, do that with your kids. He says that I know who I believed in, It's not just knowing what you're going to, it's knowing what you've got now. The certainty of Paul's intimate, saving knowledge of God himself. You understand that you can know God. How much do you know of God? Not just what do you think of him, but how do you know him? Is it a see him on the street, bump fists, and say, what's up God type way? Or is it an intimate knowledge of who he is? What makes him tick? What his desires are? what his hopes and dreams are, because they're concerned about you. For his glory, he wants to see you enjoy himself. I like where Paul kind of goes after he paints this picture of who God is and how big it is. In verse 13, he says, follow what you heard from me as the pattern of true teaching. If he's concerned about Timothy's trajectory, he ends by saying, follow me. Let me help continue to disciple you. Follow me as a true pattern of teaching. Follow it with faith and love because you belong to Christ Jesus. Guard the truth of the good news that you were trusted with. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Parents, are you setting a pattern that can be followed? Can you say verse 13? Can you say, follow what you heard from me as the pattern of true teaching? Older siblings, Are you setting a pattern that should be followed? Can your younger brothers and sisters look up to you and say, I may not want to be like them, (laughs) but I understand what they're doing and I like it? Can you follow with faith? Can you follow God with faith, with a confidence that His Word is true? Can you trust the Bible and know that it is true? and follow him with confidence with faith can you follow with love not just knowing the word but having kindness and compassion and teaching that truth you tell your kids you tell your siblings about the truth of who god is because you love them and do you guard the truth guard the truth of the good news that you were trusted with guard it with the help of the holy spirit who lives in us. You guys received some toys this past week at Christmas, and you have probably protected them fiercely from your siblings. Guard the truth of God's word like that. It is far more valuable. Okay? Parents, guard your kids. Don't shield them from everything. God is sovereign. But guard the hearts of your children. Give them confidence that God's word is true, because you believe that the word is true. Give them love, through kindness and compassion when you teach them the truth that you believe is so true. I'm going spend some time uh, in prayer real quick and, uh, and then we'll wrap up with another song. Um, I want to thank the band. Uh, as a side note, we have played eight songs today. Um, so they're the troopers for that. But I want you guys to take this, uh, this time over this next song and think about how we have been healed. All right, to think about over this past year, what does the trajectory of your faith look like? What does the trajectory of your parenting look like? Do you know God better this year because of the ordered, disciplined mind that the Spirit gives us? (coughs) Or is there chaos and confusion that needs to be ordered in your life? Are you afraid of what people think you think about God? Our culture is not hostile towards us yet, but it is certainly not wanting to listen. see, the time to face the lion is now. The time to face the lion of persecution is now. I I knew that in 1 Peter, you know, Satan is a roaring lion looking around to devour believers. (coughs) That didn't help. The thing that changed that for me was when I went to Costa Rica uh, several years ago. We took a bunch of kids to the zoo, and I've been to the zoo before, but not not for a long time. This is not helping. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, I've been to the zoo before, but not for a long time. I've been to the San Diego Zoo. It's one of the coolest ones in the world, but uh, never really registered everything. I walked around there looking for truth uh, in God's word because it was a a missions week, so it was spiritual, right? Um, We get up to the lion's cage, and I've got this little boy on my shoulders. He's freaking out. Like what are you freaking out about? It's a lion, Satan's a lion. He's <laughs> right. It's different, okay? It's different to see Aslan on on the movie. It's different to see, um, you know, pictures of a lion. Adeline has a little lion that we named Aslan. You say lion, she goes. Rah! Um, it's really weird. She roars like a lion, and they're cute, and they're fluffy, and they have lots of hair around their manes. <coughs> and you have Simba, right? The Lion King. You stand in front of a lion's cage and you think about going in there and wrestling with that sucker, it's a terrifying thought. I think we have Simba in our minds when it comes to this idea of fighting the faith. I, I think we have the, the Disney version of what it looks like to have the Lion of Judah. It's hard to worship Simba. Simba. If you understand that with the lion of Judah God looks like and then you understand that there's a lion named Satan who wants to not hurt you but kill you, devour you. Take your kids to the zoo and put them in front of the lion's cage. Take yourself. That's the persecution, that's the suffering. That's the fight that you have for the souls of your kids. There's a big monster and it wants to see nothing else than for you and your family to perish. Dads, take up arms. We the to fight now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. Father, we thank you for the, the truth of your word and the power it gives us. Father, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that you uh, have given us a word uh, in, in the Bible, Father, to allow us to fight for not just our souls but for our family souls that father that we can trust you and the power that you give in order to accomplish that father we understand that you have given us a spirit father that that indwells us and you're not just with us and around us but father you live through us in your spirit allow us to enjoy that comfort that comforter that helper Father, remind us that you are always with us. We need not be afraid. We need not be ashamed. You are good. Your word is good. Father, we thank you for all that you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.